0: Thank you. Don't protest too much i'm delighted to have isaac regberg back from uh back from miserable offenders if you haven't checked out miserable offenders it is a podcast um that talks about theology culture uh and other topics uh from an anglican perspective so uh, isaac's on there andrew's on there and jesse's on there and we have isaac today with us um he last appeared on our show back um what was it oh we called it the miserable mashup because it was he joked it was like a mashup with miserable offenders so um so isaac how have you been
1: uh it's so i've been good i've been good we had a uh, minor COVID scare here at the parish which uh turned out nobody got seriously sick but uh, we did lose attendance for a week and that happens that's tight for you oh, but right. uh, other than that good i'm hoping y'all aren't hearing the construction our neighbors here at the parish are doing all sorts of crazy stuff now. So uh, hopefully you're hearing the big trucks in the background.
0: No, I'm not, no. And uh, we have some rain here, but you wouldn't hear, because I'm using these headphones, you won't be hearing anything. As far as listeners, um, I know this is a podcast, you can't see it, but um, I have a, my podcast mic is on screen, but it's for show. Uh, I'm using just a cheap pair of earbud (laughs) headphones and the microphone. so.
1: Yeah, so the I've last, done many shows that way. It works, it can work well. <laughs> it, it, it
0: works fine. Yeah. The last episode, uh, I my it was kind of coming through scratch. I use this the regular laptop mic. I'm having issues with the new laptop as far as this podcast mic that I traditionally used on past episodes. So we'll get it worked out. But yeah, the last time we talked, um, was during the snowstorm, the snowmageddon, I guess. It's, oh, it's, yes, it's, it's yeah, been, that, it's been that long the snow, pocket wow.
1: <laughs> snow the snow snow everything bad <laughs> yeah At least here in texas
0: so i imagine you're all recovered from that so.
1: oh yeah yeah we're yeah. we're uh, we're entering into our nice fall weather this is a uh, this is drinking coffee and and uh, smoking your pipe weather
0: so <laughs> drinking coffee and smoking uh, your pipe. yes uh harvest time so well good um so today we are discussing three books of theology that we have read in the past year uh they don't have to be from this past like they don't have to be published like they don't have to be recent books that came out uh but we are discussing just books that we each have come across since the last time we met which was what last i think it was november february Oh, it's February. It was a little bit later than I thought, but it was one of our kind of first episodes. It was our fourth and fifth episode. So, Uh, so how how is Miserable Offenders going? Um, I haven't. It's been a couple months (laughs) since I've tuned in. I I meant to tune in before I had you on here,
1: but uh, it's It's probably been more than a couple of months since we've tuned into Miserable Offenders. (laughs) that's how that's been going and a holy hiatus for now so yeah unfortunately but we'll we'll, we'll get back into it we, we will we, we promise to do that eventually yes yes <laughs> well i
0: always like hearing y'all's discussions on there and so um yeah so uh oh and well how's ministry going
1: uh it's it's going well we you <laughs> know we're, we're we're chugging along and uh um Celebrating uh feast of Saint Michael and all angels, and and even song tomorrow. That is tomorrow, yeah. And so it's going good. How about how about y'all? Uh, I'm good. Uh, of course, I'm now at uh,
0: a new. Since we last talked, I now serve at Ascension, uh, which is a church uh, and school in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, there's three campuses: there's the upper school, the high school, and uh, the middle school, and the sorry. Yeah, the campus with the middle school and lower school, a campus with the high school, and a campus with the preschool. My wife works at the preschool. I work at the high school teaching history and religion, and it's uh, it's great. We um, we talked about Greek cynics today and how they used to relieve themselves on the street because they didn't believe in such thing as embarrassment. So
1: the kids got a kick out <laughs> of that. So.
0: Um, yeah, it's like a Western Civ class that. Uh, kind of in a greco road before we get into uh judaism christianity we're studying kind of greco roman foundations i guess Western. so it's really fun uh but it's it's lafayette's a new area it's a new it's different from shreveport shreveport's like texas <laughs> yeah Lafayette's very much like louisiana so uh, yeah so uh well, that's wonderful yeah um but let's uh let's uh because we have to we have three books to each get through and um and so why don't we go right into that we'll start with you because I'm excited to hear I, I I know what one is and I won't spoil it yet I'll let you introduce it because we yeah and book we'll whatever and we'll need. lead off
1: with that yeah okay. because uh since since it is the the only one published this year that I read this year I'm really bad at new books so this is this is this is a first for me, or at least a, a recent thing for me. You and uh, I This both. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I almost considered bringing in something that was written about 150 years ago, almost 200 years ago, and uh, but but I haven't finished it yet, so we'll have to wait for next time. Oh, we
0: were supposed to finish them.
1: Well, um, <laughs> well, you don't have to, I guess. <laughs> I think I finished all three of these. Yeah, so this first one is uh, by Pastor Jordan Cooper, Dr. Jordan Cooper, um, who uh, has a podcast called Justin Sinner. If y'all haven't checked that out, it's uh, it's delightful. It's one of my favorites. And this is his latest book called Union with Christ Salvation as Participation. And as, uh, as Andrew mentioned here, I did um, do a review for this for the North American Anglican recently. So, uh i'll I'll try not to recover the same things that i did in the review but um yeah he he's uh this is a lot of inside lutheran baseball Mm -hmm. um which which can be neat now now you, you have some background in in that world is that right yeah
0: um i was raised in missouri synod i've been episcopal for quite a while so i was like 13 uh but doing graduate work doctoral work at um ilt the institute of lutheran theology um so but yeah i was gonna i and i know jordan cooper but i'll get to that later i'll I'll, um but yeah well i'll go ahead so jordan Cooper, yeah i've listened to some of his podcasts and um there was one episode i recently listened to where he responded the the name of the episode was refuting an sspx priest claims about luther so (laughs) it's uh yeah it's his podcast justin sinner that isaac mentioned and uh, it it was an sspx priest was basically there's a video footage sound bites of of SSPX SSPX saying stuff like Luther, um, secularized the Western world and brought Mm -hmm. on like the typical, and that's a very typical anti-Luther type of, you know, polemic. And as well as some other things, and I'll just let our listeners, if you want to check that out, the podcast, Isaac mentioned, Justin center that the name of the episode was refuting the SSPX priest claims about Luther, uh, Jordan Cooper's he's a good, um, he's a good podcast. So he keeps it interesting. And, um, uh he he's he's one of the few i guess Lutheran popular Lutheran apologists in
1: a way I guess. so yeah i'd probably say so that makes sense yeah, yeah.
0: um but yeah so uh yeah jordan coop he's a uh, yeah I, especially that episode i, I
1: particularly liked. Yeah so this this uh this book this latest book is it's pretty academic and um if you have uh come across his book christification it kind of deals with this in a bit more academic way okay but um he's he's talking about um how the doctrine of union with christ is found in in lutheran scholasticism and how it can still apply today um which which is as an Anglican and an Episcopalian might be so what? but actually there's some pretty cool stuff in there. And so I'm, I'm not going to get into the the Lutheran details uh, myself because that was while well, fascinating, not not the most interesting thing to me. like it was it was good information but not like applicable um, so much. But he, he talks about three kinds of union and I think this was this was pretty neat to see because I don't always hear it. Broken down like this, the doctrine of union with Christ. So, he first talks about the objective union um, with all humanity. So, by virtue of the incarnation, all of humanity is united to Christ um, in some way because now one of us sits on the throne, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I think that that's that's pretty neat. Um, that's that's an aspect I don't think I would ever really heard talked about before. Although I know that I've addressed that issue of how you know that implication of the incarnation before. Right.
0: Well in Lutheranism isn't typical when I think when we think of Lutheranism popularly, it's 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 very atonement uh right centered. And so to hear of incarnational theology uh from a Lutheran theologian, uh and you say this comes from the scholastics. He kind of mines the scholastics for this type of uh
1: he does. Yeah he, he so he says the big a big shift happens um in the in the nineteenth century with um uh, Kantian existentialism really becoming a thing and so everybody in, everybody in theology but including the lutheran world starts to look at um, theological issues more in terms of uh what does how does this affect me as the christian rather than defining something as it is right. so there's this idea that you know some of these big things of God are just so big that it doesn't really matter if we define it how it is because we can't really experience how it is
0: it's the the epistemic starting
1: point is now us right Um, right right yeah which was totally not the way that anybody was thinking you know at the time of the reformation and you know for for a couple hundred years after that and so um yeah and he and he he said he notes that that this this form of um of union isn't it's described but not really talked about as much in lutheran scholasticism Mm -hmm. so you find you find this you know this there is an emphasis on the incarnation but it's not as emphasized of course as the atonement sure um so so this is kind of getting into some deep dive of of the uh the lutheran confessions and and some of the other folks
0: Mm -hmm. well that's interesting that he he's uh Brights on the Protestant scholastics the, and the Lutheran scholastics. Uh, were you very familiar with those kind of prior to reading Cooper's work? Or?
1: Not really. There, there was a few folks um, that I was introduced to more through some, some what he was saying and other, other confessional Lutherans that I've listened to. Um, you know, folks. Oh gosh, um, like like Gearhard, you know, mm-hmm. which which is from a later generation, but really yeah. tapping into that. That that more scholastic, um, uh, you know, Philip Melanchthon, of course. Yeah. Um, he 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 talks a lot about um, the Osiander controversy, mm-hmm. uh, which I had not heard about the controversy before. Um, although I, I, most of I knew Osiander is uh, Thomas Cramer's father-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: Cranmer was married to Osiander's
1: well, well his, his niece. niece, right? Yeah. yeah so, um, so it was like so his uncle law uncle-in-law, uncle-in-law yeah.
0: right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there is that Lutheran Anglican connection there, yeah. Um, yeah at the, the time of the Reformation yeah what now what was I totally blanking what was Osiander's um flaw, I guess where did he
1: so he he was saying that the um and this kind of gets into into the other kinds of union um but so we'll we'll skip down to the third kind the mystical union mm-hmm. where we are made into Christ's image as we're united to him okay. and Osiander was saying that um, we are justified because of that union with Christ.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas um, they said, no, we are, we are we are brought, we are that union with Christ, that mystical union comes because of our justification, mm-hmm. not justification because of the mystical union. Right. And, um, and, and this seems like a real kind of hair splitting, but especially for reformation theology, that's absolutely huge. Right. You know, is how, is justification imputed or infused? Sure. And um, basically, yeah, Osiander's take was was resorting to things that they weren't so happy to in terms of how we are, you know, that objective justification was making justification a little too subjective. Right,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, imputation is, is, there, is it a divine exchange of uh, Christ's righteousness, or is it a righteousness now given uh, right so the, the seed is planted and now it must grow yes the and, and so, and so and that, it, it seems so hair splitting mm-hmm. today and um, uh, but it but it there there is a significant difference
1: <laughs> oh yeah and and he and one of the things i really enjoyed about this book and this this is kind of skipping around a little bit but um, so so the the, the second union being the formal union which is that great exchange you know we mm-hmm. are um, because of our justification, we are formally united to Christ. We are made one with Christ. Um, and then, you know, the great exchange, we get his righteousness. He gets our, <laughs> our he takes on our sin, um, mm-hmm. that that marriage metaphor from Ephesians and that sort of thing. Um, which, so, you know, that that formal union arising from our justification where we are given his righteousness. But then that third union, the mystical union, is we actually do get more righteous because we're being we're th- that union with christ as we grow in mm-hmm. in our walk you know grow right. in our relationship with christ we are made more like him and we start to as a one one of my one of my favorite old preachers steve brown likes to say smell like jesus uh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you, you smell like jesus you, you right. like say. but um yeah and 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 what ends up happening is that there is a um an infused righteousness um, with that mystical union. We are right. actually made more righteous with that union um, in, that, in that really practical level. But all that is built on the foundation of that declared imputed righteousness right. first.
0: Well, and that's kind of where, uh, I guess, a Lutheran would differentiate between, and classically, all Protestants would differentiate between like justification and sanctification,
1: right? Sanctification
0: right. Being the, the ongoing life. Now that the 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 uh, Christ has um, justified you, <laughs> right? Um, well, good. Uh, and there was a quote. I am going to look it up. I, there was a quote from Michael Ramsey, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury. Of course, I know Isaac knows that. For our listeners, a lot of our listeners, of course, know that too. Uh, but he, I'm going to read this quote. It was from a uh, book that. This isn't one of the books I'm talking about, but it uh, <laughs> talking about uh, my, this conversation with Isaac. Maybe, maybe uh, reminded me of it. Uh, a book called "The Anglican Spirit," which is edited by Dale Coleman, who I believe was a uh, he's an Episcopal priest, I believe in Ashoka Grad, and he wrote a he compiled a book of essays from Michael Ramsey. And uh, this quote from Michael Ramsey says, "Martin quote Martin Luther horrified by the the idea that salvation could be won." By merit or good works, proclaim that justification is by faith alone. Inevitably, people being the way they are, it was possible for the trend against justification by works to lead on to a movement for no works at all. In fairness to Luther, one must insist for him: the life of justification by faith was a life of relationship to God in Christ of such a kind that the Holy Spirit did the rest in the fruit of good works. Righteousness is imputed. By God, it is a sign not deserved. And in a letter, Luther used the famous phrase, be a sinner and sin bravely. It is on this rhetorical passage that allegations that Luther himself espoused antinomianism or the belief that the law doesn't apply anymore because of the gospel are largely based. To me, it seems odd that these commentators on this do not think that Luther was very likely pulling Melanchthon's leg. I think it more likely that he was especially, as the account suggests, that Melanchthon, a rather solemn person, had the kind of leg that sometimes needed to be pulled, unquote. <laughs> so,
1: we all know we, those guys, don't we? <laughs> yes.
0: Um, and that And speaking of the SSPX priest episode that Jordan Cooper did, I keep saying Justin Cooper, because his show is called Justin Cooper. <laughs> I always get it mixed, but it is Jordan Cooper. Um, he... Uh, that was one of the things that priest said. Well, guess what Luther said. He told Melanchthon to the sin boldly. How could anyone tell someone to sin because he believes it's justified? Anyways, you can sin. I'm like, well, no, that's not really what Luther was was really saying, you know. And so, um, well, it's interesting um, to because now you're more. I, I know you're not really much into Anglican partisanship, but I, I always kind of pegged you more as an Anglo-Catholic type.
1: Nice. um yeah there's especially in kind of the way the way our our services look you know, that, Yeah, that that is that is kind of more the way things are um yeah and in these these three books that I, that i chose kind of jump all over the place with that right. so i'm 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 very much you know we don't use this term in anglicanism but a a, a quia subscription for the articles kind of guy uh, yes. um, which is not normal for high church you know with a lot of smells and bells like our parish does and like I really enjoy but uh yeah so that I I, so I have I have some feet in in both of those but I in in that quia subscription I want to be as uh as patristic and catholic as possible (laughs) sure yeah
0: (laughs) right um well uh my first book let me find my notes here actually did some did some notes um Isaac uh we I think I messaged you around 1230 and he said, yep, I got my notes prepared." I'm like, oh, shoot, that's right. I, <laughs> I should get some notes ready. I can kind of talk to talk off the top of my head about these, but not really. Uh, so my first book um, is I wanted to, I was, I was, I read something on Luther, but I was, I'm going to save it for later. It Would have been good to kind of transition from yours to, uh, to mine, but we'll, we'll get there later. Um, uh, I'm so the book that I recently read, and this is the one I'm cheating on because I haven't read the whole thing. But it's um it's actually and it's not even it's te- so it's technically not like a theology book. It's a biblical studies book. Does that count? I mean, <laughs> it's uh well it's, it works for me. It is, yeah,
1: and it's from a,
0: it's actually uh, I guess from a theological angle, but but that'll I'll explain that. So the book's called um Constructing Paul with by Luke Timothy Johnson, uh New Testament scholar, Professor Emery, uh Catholic Bible scholar. And um, it's called Constructing Paul. It's the first of two volumes of a set called uh, this, what do you, not a, if it's two books, it's not a trilogy, it's a a biology, but bi- it sounds too much like biology, but ability, I don't know. I know it has the word bi in it somewhere, but it's a, a duo. This duo yeah. of books <laughs> is called the canonical Paul. What were you going to say?
1: I was just like a duopoly, but that's totally not a duopoly. Right at all. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that would be a fun board
1: game. Um, exactly.
0: There's actually a board game board game called Anti Monopoly, where you have to demonopolize. Um, I played it once, but it was a hot mess. I would rather just play it. <laughs> okay, it just doesn't the execution. It doesn't work. Um, so it's constructing Paul from a two set. From I only read the one volume, but the and uh, it's by Luke Timothy Johnson, and it's recent, so it's a newer book. It's from 2020. Um, I've not heard a lot of praises sung about the book, but it's um, I think kind of a monumental book. I mean, it's one of the best books I've read on Paul. Other, I mean, the best book on Paul is the Bible. Well, I should say the Book of Acts, (laughs) since Paul's letters are not about him; they're by him, but. so Acts number one, I have to say Leander Keck, uh, his come train Paul, I can't remember the name, uh, that still is kind of my favorite, but my third favorite of those would, would be this one. It was so good, uh, Constructing Paul by Luke Timothy Johnson. And as the name suggests, um, uh, well, as the name suggests from the two-part series, Canonical Paul, he's writing this from an angle of uh, his concern is with how the church, ultimately how the church reads and receives paul um i first came across luke timothy johnson when he he wrote the uh past he wrote a commentary on the pastoral letters for anchor anchor bible commentary <clears throat> and of course and, and i'm at a i at well, did not read the whole thing it's a huge volume but i remember reading the uh, preface or intro of that and in that he lays out just uh kind of a scathing argument i remember against this dogma that's almost like forced in theological academia that Paul wrote seven letters but did not write six it's almost you know that's almost become Mm -hmm. like an orthodoxy um that you know and if you you know but and but some scholars of course and some mainstream scholars beg to differ um but uh for the most part that is the case and he just laid out a really good argument um okay some of the things that the apparent differences are not as apparent as they uh, seem, and you could you could actually see the you could read those same differences between the different undisputed letters of Paul. Right, that was that was essentially his. I mean, it was I that was kind of a summary of what his argument was. So I, that was kind of my introduction that Luke Timothy Johnson actually read that preface in seminary. But this book, um, so in this book he continues more on how the preoccupation with uh, you know which. Which letters of Paul were actually written by him, and which ones weren't um and the dating of them and so forth how that the occupation with that has has led to little little to enhance it's um mm-hmm. it it has not really enhanced what was behind the composition um it did little to uh, understand these letters uh their message and i mean ultimately theologically um or canonically what as we had people of faith i mean what what how does that really be- ultimately benefit us? Um, and he also notes, this is my favorite, kind of throughout the book, he notes how Pauline studies have been so so susceptible to different the different trends of academia, and mm-hmm. kind of the, the usual suspects, right? Um, he grants that it's understandable why there has been uh, post-colonial feminist and queer approaches to reading or interpreting Paul. Uh, but he sees how... This actually is a narrow way of looking at it, um, and it it's so narrow that it just um, it's so it's so it determined on reading its ideology really into the text um, mm-hmm. that it's just not. any there was a quote I wanted to share from it. It's from page seventeen. I'm gonna look up and find that. Do, have now while well, I'm looking, have you read Luke Timothy Johnson at all? Any of his commentaries have you used or?
1: I, th- I think I've I've read some excerpts here and there for other projects, like that okay. I pulled out for research. But I don't have any any in my library. But it, yeah, I I, I like like where he's coming from so far. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh yeah, it gets better. Um, so this is a quote. He says, "The more explicit the attachment to a specific perspective, however, and the narrower scope of that perspective, the more there is the danger of elevating a part of Paul into the whole." while simultaneously missing much of the full range of the concerns addressed in his life. Mm -hmm. um, Beautifully put. And so he finds, you know, that's usually what happens when, well, with all the different subfields of interpretation and scholarly approaches um, that we see so often um, in in the humanities and the biblical studies, whatnot. uh but he's also he's also critical and this was interesting he's he's also critical of in the late 70s there was a movement that was really into Paul's rhetoric um it was like they basically read a system into Paul's letters and that for every letter there is um uh, look for this look for this and they would write handbooks and he said like such efforts um would sometimes hit the mark but often they would um uh, kind of force Paul's arguments into these kind of uh, he called them handbook derived procrustean beds.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is very kind of focusing so much on the structure that you lose what he's actually yeah, saying.
0: And yeah. And I, you know, and I kind of got some of that in I remember in like some of the Pauline yeah. studies I had in like seminary I had some of that. And I hans Dieter Bet Hans Dieter Betts was one of the big people behind that. And uh, and I like Johnson because Johnson is he's critical. Um, but I feel like um, and and, like, and I like him for that. I, I don't see I see very few mainstream uh, scholars willing to just address these things and just call them yeah. for what they are. Um, and also, um, that you know, that they'll say, you know, this isn't gospel. This isn't the end all be all take this with a grain of salt take that with a grain of salt. But he does it in like a Christian way um he's uh he's not like overly critical he grants that there are good aspects of some of the arguments that have come out of these modern studies uh but to some of these trends he says there's this there's good in all of them in some way you know but but ultimately he's not afraid to point out kind of the faults of them so again i cheated i didn't read the full thing i'm excited to read it's a big book it's like 700 pages i've skipped around a lot Uh, i bought the ebook edition um But yeah, so Constructing Paul Luke Timothy Johnson, um, first of two volumes in the canonical
1: Paul set. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of has me thinking. I I was, during my undergrad, um, you know, this is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, Mm -hmm. Um, one one of my social sciences professors was one of the cutting edge authors of whatever the developments were in um, um, what we would now call critical theory today. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and I, I don't remember her name. I, you know, her book was on my shelf for a long time. I lost in some move, but it was, you know, her book was one of the required texts. And, and I, and I remember at the time, you know, finding some, okay, there's some really good tools here, but this could get, this could get exploited real bad. Right. Right. And, and, and I, especially and when I, put I, into the
0: hands of the enthusiastic person who's read it for the first time.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> <You> exactly. <know. laughs> yeah. And, and I was, um, we're, we're, going through, I'm teaching through Galatians for our adult Sunday school right now. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, part of the introduction is okay. When, when was Galatians? Probably his first letter problem maybe, but, um, I, I remember the, the the commentary, whichever commentary I was using them say, yeah, yeah, it's real hard to pin down timing on 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 a lot of these letters and ultimately it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's that's kind of true, you know,
0: right? Because whether it's from 52 or 54, I don't see how the message changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, my second one um, is not new. It's both a little bit new, but also very old. (laughs) Um, And I'll tell you why. So this is a joint book by J.I. Packer and N.T. Wright. Ah, I'm Um, excited already. Yeah, right. You don't expect. That, that was kind of the thing when, when I found two copies of these on my shelf I'm like how did I get two copies and I haven't read it yet yeah you know like, I mean this I just read this in the last couple of weeks uh, but um yeah and such such a such a weird 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 combination you know right and packer and it's it's called uh, a Anglican evangelical identity yesterday and today mm. and so um the uh the edition I have was written in 2008 but the main body of it are a trio of essays. Um, Packer did two, Wright did one, from 1978, 1980, and 1981. And then they reissued it in 2008 with new introductions. Each okay. each author wrote a new introduction. And so, um, well, what I what I really enjoyed about this is that um, now now Pat Packer's a bit of a hero of mine. Um, you know, there there's definitely kind Of his interpretation of the second commandment, me as a high churchman would take issue with some of that, but sure. um, for, from knowing God, kind of that famous passage. But I, I, what are you saying that mischief.
0: his interpretation? I mean, I can kind of like oh, suspect what it could be, but you know,
1: yeah, so and this, this is this is in knowing God, so this is he's probably most famous for this, and people call him an iconoclast for this, which he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he just passed away a couple a year or two ago, if, if memory serves, but um,
0: yeah, it was recently last year
1: yeah yeah because i know in 2019 he was still alive but his health was no good because i was at a conference where he was supposed to speak but he couldn't make it mm-hmm. and so i don't remember if he passed away in early 2020 or later 2019 right. but um yeah so what he says in knowing god regarding the second command is basically he's against any depictions of of god period including depictions of christ Oh, so okay. he, he considers a crucifix or, you know, kind of that those classic icons as being a violation of the second commandment. Mm. Well, but okay. he's not against other depictions. It's just depictions of God. Okay. If, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. So saints can be, well, of course, you would have a different understanding of a saint than what, like an Anglo-Catholic might have. Yeah, sure. But people of the Bible other than
1: God. Yeah. And, and and I suspect he wouldn't have a problem with say, you know, the illustrations I have in my, my King James Bible, those Doré illustrations. I think it's more as part of, um, in in church, as part of the worship service, um, because there, there is a danger in his mind, or there was a danger in his mind of, okay, when I'm picturing God, I'm picturing that crucifix or whatever. Right.
0: Well, I always heard that historically, Protestantism, because it was usually the the upper class in comparison to Roman Catholic populations in Europe, uh, that they would be, uh, and and not counting Lutheranism, because they didn't have quite the aversion toward images that other Protestant uh, traditions did, but the broader Protestant tradition, the home became kind of the center for Mm -hmm. sacred art. Um, And that was very common, especially for people that, had the means to have you know the decorated home like that but yeah um, yeah, they could patronize
1: artists and stuff yeah
0: right but church became very plain right
1: yeah which is which is yeah and it's you know that that's that very much speaks of Packer's reformed uh bent but Mm -hmm. but for a reform guy he's actually very lenient on the issue I mean he's he's a lot of the reform guys i know even in anglicanism will go will go to the mat in a way that packer wouldn't on these things really? yeah my, my, my bishop was actually trained by packer when he was um you know, when when they they were in canada at the same time mm-hmm. and so um i think my bishop did his curacy at packer's parish and um he, he tells us that yeah that uh yeah packer had no problem with elevating the host at the consecration oh really which is so not reformed yeah. right right yeah <laughs> yeah it, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, this 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 book was um, a trio of essays. So in, in the first one, and they, they were all originally in, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, for the Latimer Studies, which I think is a big kind of evangelical organization in the Church of England. Mm-hmm. And so the first essay, Packer's writing that as he's leaving England to go to North America. So this is, in 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 some ways, it's kind of his you know, goodbye letter to evangelicals in the Church of England. And like so many in the Church of England, even today, when they think Anglicanism, they're only thinking Church of England. They're not really thinking the whole communion. Right. And and so like um, the places
0: where Anglicanism is is on the rise almost never is the image of Anglicanism, at least when a Westerner Yeah. Yeah.
1: Bit, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> ex- exactly. And and um yeah, and so there, there's, a, there's a little bit of myopia there, and, and in, in his new introduction from 20, 2008, he he says that's, that's one of the things that you have to change going forward. You have to start okay. thinking globally, not just locally, because the whole world has gone global, including the Anglican Communion, right. which it already was by then, but in terms of, it was almost like, I think in the 80s and 70s, even though the Anglican Communion was global, it wasn't really operating globally, it was still every province for himself kind of thing right um or at least that's the impression i get i mean that's that's before my time um well, i mean i guess well i know I the was instruments in those days but the
0: four instruments were, there were not always four some of those instruments the the different uh organized structures of getting Anglicans together for our listeners. I know Isaac, yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of inside baseball for us. Yeah, (laughs) we have a lot of Anglican
0: uh listeners, and a lot of people are familiar with the Anglican community. But yeah, there's the different councils, there's the different Mm -hmm. uh that they periodically meet. and I don't know how many were by the 70s and 80s, how many those are acting. I feel like all of them were, but maybe it's it's definitely more in the there's probably more of a global sense as you get into the 90s, I would guess. Um, but that's it's a the history's
1: pretty complicated on that. So. Yeah, and certainly in to, by by two thousand and eight, that mm-hmm. was that was very much in the in the spotlight because of some of the clashes going on in the communion between the global south and 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 the right. west, um, and, and and you know Packers on the forefront of that. Sure. Which is, I, I suspect, that's probably why it was re-released in two thousand and eight was because sure. of those things. I mean, you know, and, and we're you know we're thirteen years after that at this point, and so you know, all of my time since I came back to my 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 roots has been in that context. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was baptized Episcopalian, but um, you know, I, I was I was out of it by, you know, my my folks had had moved to other other places by by 1990 so you know a lot of this stuff is you know passed me by until you know i I came back in the middle of it all yeah and and for
0: all listeners yeah i mean they'll know from the last time they listen to it if they're familiar with your podcast your anglican church
1: north america are there there other bodies you're part of um i'm actually nigeria um okay which is yeah which is which is it's a it's a weird it's a weird inside baseball thing so um yeah we we had once upon a time there was dual citizenship between Anglican Church north america and nigeria for our diocese okay um but that 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 was deemed by everybody to not work <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> um, but, logistically yeah. <laughs> which i mean how how can it i mean you, yeah you can't be in two dioceses at once how could you be right. in two provinces at once and so um our, yeah our our our, uh, our bishop remained in in, in, Nigeria. Um, and I saw no reason to change diocese. Okay. So you, you are, um,
0: I remember our last, you were talking about different mission efforts. Um, but, yeah. and you had the connection, but you're under Nigeria. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, 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 the weird thing is in, in this part of, in San Antonio, Texas, um, it's all Ni- Nigerian mission, even though okay. there's not a lot of Nigerians, it's just, that's where we were planted from. And, and we, we never left. Mm-hmm. um when, when some of that reshuffling happened so which and, and the cool thing about that is um you know the the ac is part of gafcon and they're a lot, mm-hmm. allied with a lot of the global south provinces but they're not part of it the, um,
0: right they're not officially rec- your, your zoom cut it off but that's what you said
1: yeah they're not right
0: they don't have the official standing at nigeria
1: Right. And so there's for, for me, there's a you know, this book had I had a little bit more skin in the game than I would have if we had gone the other way a couple of years back. Sure. Yeah. Um, which which yes. I which was which was kind of neat. And you know, so he, he spends a lot of that first essay kind of defining what he sees as evangelical Anglicanism and making a case for it being um, a viable option in the Church of England at the time. And I guess one of the things that it was happening. In those days, was that the evangelical wing in the Church of England was actually on the ascendancy? They were they, there was respectability to being an evangelical, whereas I guess in the '60s and '50s there wasn't. Right. They were like a minority group that nobody. They were kind of backwaters, and so, so there was it it's was kind which of was revival kind of interesting. with
0: Stott, with John Stott, yeah, the, and that was a yeah. little bit after the
1: '50s and '60s. Yeah, and I, and I think yeah, Stott really kind of pioneered that. And I guess there was a lot of evangelicals in, in Church of England that weren't happy about that. They kind of enjoyed being obscure. Like yeah. there was this fear <laughs> yeah. of, you know, I mean, if, if we if we if we become part of the establishment, if we actually have archdeacons, deans, and bishops, <laughs> uh, we might get corrupted, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so he's part of what he's doing is making the case of 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 being part of part of the big group, even though there is, you know, in the eyes of you know that brand of evangelicalism it's it's not a a pure place to be necessarily but there's it's worth it kind of thing
0: yeah and funny, and dealing yeah. with the
1: you know the growing charismatic elements mm-hmm. um prayer book changes going on at the time um so there was there was a, there was a lot of changes happening in anglican evangelicalism at the time well and
0: i'm not too uh familiar with kind of the the last how the last 40 years of the evangelical wing in, in the church of england has played out i went to London several years ago. Um, and uh, went to visited Holy Trinity, Brompton, Nikki Campbell, mm-hmm. and I don't know. And that's the church course uh, that started piloted the Alpha program. And I don't know if that when that came along, um, like was it the 80s and the 90s. And I don't know if, if that's directly comes out of the revival with Stott or how much of a connection there is between even the evangelical wing going more mainstream after the 50s and I don't know. I imagine there's and kind
1: of I, I think that kind of thing was on the rise and yeah. more traditional evangelicals didn't know what to do with it at the time. You know, do He's we right. embrace there's a
0: difference between the, the new traditional evangelical yeah. and a holy trinity prompted evangelical? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, those
1: those commitments to the you know, the 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 Calvinism commitments, the 1662 yeah. mm-hmm. prayer book um commitments, you know, kind of frozen chosen almost type of thing. Um, but that's not how the new guys were. And yeah. so that that was part of the that was part of the changes he was addressing. And you anyway, know, a lot of what he's what he was saying is, yeah, you know, um embrace it, but but don't embrace it uncritically. You know, that was sure. kind of kind of Packer's advice, which is so very Packer. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was he you could not call him a kind of a fundamentalist. He he was willing to work with change. Mm-hmm. And then uh NT writes. In in some parts he was responding to what Packer wrote, but Wright kind of always does his own thing. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's he's his like I was like I I kind of thought it was a little weird, you know, because I don't really think of Wright as an evangelical, although I think of myself an evangelical. Right. Yeah. And well, I mean I just I just couldn't I couldn't put right into a box, I guess.
0: Well, and like our last we just talked about justification a while ago, and now you're talking about Packer and Wright together writing. And then yeah, I would have could only imagine if that you know. I don't know if that was part of the. I'm I'm sure they left that a uh, that topic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, there, there was a in, in his introduction. Wright says something about he, he gets a call from somebody who I had not heard of and you know who had read his essay. And at first, Wright was kind of you know, he was he was relatively new at the time and he was afraid that um, that was going to be him getting lambasted. But the guy, you know, some bigwig uh, an evangelical. Anglicanism at the time said, you know Colin said well i I hope I hope if um if you know if you I say to you that I agree with almost everything you say, you won't take that as an insult yeah. you know and and uh, Packer says, I'd kind of say the same thing to Jim pa- to, or Wright says I'd kind of say the same thing to Jim Packer this time if 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 I say I agree with just about everything you say, I hope you won't take that as an insult yeah and so, and <laughs> and right uh, right really one of the things he talks about is he uses this analogy of a Venn diagram, you know, how would you how would you diagram evangelical and Anglican? Mm-hmm. And so he says, Okay, one way would be to consider Anglican as a subset of evangelicals, say so particular kind of evangelical. Another one would be to say that maybe evangelicals a subset of being Anglican, mm-hmm. some Anglicans are evangelicals. And he said, there's a real list that would just kind of see it as there's an overlap between the two categories. And his, he basically ends up saying that what, what he thinks ought to happen as evangelicals within the Church of England and the Anglicanism in general um, embrace their own um, theological priorities regarding scripture and that sort of thing, that they would see, yes, there's that overlap, but that the overlapped portion would grow and the part that is outside of it would shrink is basically what he was saying Mm -hmm. so that you know and he was he he mentions that that he was a a, accused although accused isn't the right word but he was described that's probably a better word of um catholicizing evangelicalism within the church of england but not in superficial ways kind of in a more more true to the word catholic ways oh yes yeah and then the, the third essay was was packer um addressing the comprehensiveness that is Anglicanism and how how does a conscientious evangelical deal with that mm-hmm. you know with with all all the all the um the the real variety of of doctrine that is in Anglicanism and um the basic question is okay what what are the acceptable limits of comprehensiveness and he doesn't really answer that so much as he advises you need to deal with that question mm-hmm. and so um you know he in this essay he, he's generally positive about the idea of staying within the institution and um fighting for what he would consider doctrinal purity through debates through writings through the kinds of things that you know he, he was good at mm-hmm. Um, he says because the other option is you break away into little smaller pure doctrinal groups, and he says yeah. I I understand that and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not where I am. Right. And and that that was that was that was a lot of food for thought because yeah. of you know the way the the mess that is Anglicanism since yeah. since my time has been in it
0: and the mess that is in that is Christianity. It, it's it's interesting when when you were talking about kind of your own journey, um, where you were at what times and what was going on in Anglicanism because um, I was. So I went to the Episcopal Church in 2003, which is, of course, the notorious year, you know, that's the... Yeah, biggest. yeah. It, I, I felt like none of, like, my life as an Episcopalian had absolutely no connection. My my life as an Episcopalian in mid-Michigan at the time, as a teenager at a... I mean, like, I didn't hear about... That was something that happened over in, you know, New Hampshire. We didn't have, like, instant, you know, social media and everything. I mean, so it's just like it's like it wasn't it was maybe like it wasn't even a footnote on <laughs> on me, my my but um and i drifted out of the church kind of my late teens kind of went through the um well things a lot of teenagers go through they kind of fall out of you know was not planning on ordained ministry growing up um then i went by the time i started going back to church i started going back to the episcopal church it was in like 2008 9
1: that's about I was, Same for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I missed it too. I missed kind of the, I mean, the, the, war is still going on. There's always a war going on. And, and unfortunately, I mean, there's just always some type of uh, di- dispute about something, but I just, I missed the, I guess the ugly fights and part of me, like, you know, I'm not against, like, I'm not against, I mean, I'm also against now it's like, uh, they don't, people don't want to debate anything. Like, right. just like this, at least in the like the the Episcopal world. It's just all discussion monologue, uh, not not a real depthy discussion, you know. Um, uh, And and I not that I want to think that the church needs to go back to being at each other's throats and having the ugly fights and the name calling and all that stuff. I mean, unchristian stuff. uh, But uh, there is room for healthy debate, and I'd even say healthy polemic in. The life of the church, um, because there's going to be disagreements for human, but uh, you know, I just I, and so I, I, you know, I,
1: I don't know, those are the thoughts I have sometimes. Um, yeah, so. and I wonder, I wonder what what's a good kind of platform for a healthy form of debate. I mean, you know, Packer talks about his his first essay kind of as a tract for the times, you know, and of course, mm-hmm. a shout out to the to what was going on in the early Anglo Catholic days in the 19th century. With the uh, the Oxford tracks. But mm-hmm. um I mean that that's the way debate was done. You know, you you yeah. wrote little essays, you you passed them around. And I, I think my fear today is that too much of when there is actual debate, it's on Twitter or on, on Facebook. And, and that is so a, that, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's under hundred and seventy characters,
1: yeah which you can't have, you can't have thoughtful. So everybody's, everybody's car- caricaturing each other rather than actually mm-hmm. engaging with each other's. And I, I think like the old school blog could be that if there's a way to make sure that, that, you know, if there's a way to disseminate that better, like mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've pulled out of a lot of social media and I'm using my old, you know, RSS feeds more than anything else now, Yeah, you know, kind of going back to the aggregators but but that's because that's that's the way to get content that doesn't make me angry <laughs> you right, know? Right. yeah I, I don't i don't like the person i am when i'm on twitter too much right yeah
0: and uh yeah i this podcast has a twitter it's and i keep forgetting to get on there maybe that's not a bad thing i don't personally have a twitter account um but yeah it's um <laughs> so well my next book uh is you it oh okay so back on luther heinrich bornkem's book luther in mid career um heinrich bornkem is an interesting so heinrich bornkem is the brother of gunther gunther bornkem uh both germans um gunther bornkem was a new testament scholar uh and heinrich was a church historian kind of like a, a power duo i mean they they both mm. you know had lots of writings and were you know kind of the some of their tops in their field in their day. And we're talking in their day, kind of the 30s through the 60s, kind of their prime, I guess. Um Heinrich wrote this book on Luther. Um, and he, it was uh published and he wrote it later in his life. I don't know when he Heinrich died. Um he like many German academics, uh, back in the 30s, he uh, voiced support for Adolf Hitler. Um, is now and there's been some stuff written on that you know in the 30 that that you know i i think like you know hitler was a wasn't really necessarily the, he wasn't just a populist who rallied up like the working classes exclusively he rallied up everyone and um, right. a lot of the a lot of theology professors in germany at the time welcomed him um some of course famously dissented Bart Bonhoeffer are two, of course, examples of that, Um, and Heinrich was one of the, so I think there's kind of like two, uh, there's kind of two different types of the Hitler supporting, there's the ones that really were like, really about Hitler and really supportive, and even like wedded their thought to Hitler, of course, philosopher martin Heidegger (laughs) is an example of that and you know who in a later Der spiegel article in the 70s did not disavow that um then there were some who saw the good at the time because they saw that uh the economic devastation Mm -hmm. was being turned around um and a lot of the those types, the more moderate types by the mid-30s a lot of them did um they weren't as enthusiastic. They were kind of quietly, um, disappointed with Hitler and quietly against what he was doing. Um, I would put Heinrich in that second camp, um, kind of like Paul Althaus, which is actually a Luther scholar too, from that time, uh, is definitely I would put in there. Um, so, so Heinrich, I mean, he has that part of his past, um, but, um, he actually did I forgot. I meant to pull up his biographical. I think at some point in the late forties, he got a slap on the wrist for for not going along with the program anymore. I, I don't think it was like uh, banned from teaching, though. I think it was. Uh, I'd have to look that up. Like I'll put it in the like show
1: notes. a slap a slap from the Hitler government.
0: A slap from the Hitler government. Yeah. For um, so, but I'll put that. I'll put that in the show notes because um, it's always interesting. Like what what's you know. Is there is you know are they are they what are they realizing as t- the time goes on they see the things that transpire, um, I just am kind of fascinated by that period and and um, but Heinrich nevertheless he wrote this book in the yeah ni- 1979 and it was translated in English in 1983 so a short time after translated by Theodore Bachmann who's a who's behind some of the mid 20th century editions of the Confessions and some key Lutheran texts uh, American Luther scholar translated this book and it is the best biographical book i've read on luther um Hmm. ever i i know there's some popular ones out there i haven't really honestly dove into those uh much i know eric metaxas wrote one i never read that um uh there's and there's a lot of systematic treatments of luther and luther's thought and some really good ones um and but this book was like a biography yeah, uh, in the sense that it was about Luther's life, it was chronological, uh, you know, from beginning to end. Covered events chronologically and how those events uh, affected him, uh, but also at each point it kind of dives into what what the development of his thought and the development of his theology at any at these different points in time. And um, starts off, of course, fifteen twenty one with him in Wartburg Castle, and he goes into detail about how what led him to. We'll translate the New Testament, first of all, but um, write the prefaces that he did, what books that he, and why he prioritized writing longer prefaces for certain books and shorter ones for others. Why some books he saw the can- canonicity as secondary. So that was pretty fascinating. He gets into the
1: uh, Hebrews and that kind of thing.
0: Hebrew, yeah, Hebrews, James, James, you know, famously... That's Revelation, kind of the famous one, yeah. Revelation's a very interesting one. I'm going to do... I'm doing a episode, a host episode next month for our listeners on Luther's interpretation of the book of Revelation, because he had a dramatic cool. shift. He wrote... He rewrote two the two prefaces when he released the later 1531 or two edition, and one of those is Revelation. Um, he had a really change of heart on that book which is interesting um but so it gets into the peasant uh, rebellion uh that luther luther spoke against um gets into luther's view of law and gospel that developed i mean all these key developments it's all Mm. happening between those years it's all the 1520s i mean the 1520s really make luther for who he is and who we remember at least those who of us who theologically know luther (laughs) we know luther is more than just the guy who nailed something on a door (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> right uh so um it was a really good book uh it's it's yeah called lutheran mid career uh by uh, heinrich Bonkem. it is you can read it for free if you go on internet archive uh, do you go to internet archive ever, Isaac?
1: oh yeah i get i get all my old anglican divine stuff that way oh
0: yeah it's all on
1: there. it's beautiful it's, it's yeah, wonderful for the book i'm not yeah. going to talk about that's where i got it from
0: <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. well, if it's 200 years old yeah yeah. you won't have to shelve out so for our listeners if there's like an old text you're interested in that amazon might have a copy or two but it's a few hundred dollars because it's old and rare and you can probably read it for free on the internet archive <laughs> you have yep. to sign up but it's free um and and you can you it's they loan titles like a library system
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so I, i've read a lot of goods i mean i i kind of went into the internet archive a lot this summer just picking out some things but uh, it's hard to read like it's not user-friendly i don't at least mobilely. i've not noticed it, it to be I, I use the laptop for it and that
1: so yeah i use my ipad but that's because i have a full-size ipad right. So like i get i get the um the pdfs when, oh, when they yeah. have it and if it doesn't have a pdf version it's only web i i skip it or i go find yeah. a pdf somewhere else
0: if it has the pdf yeah. i could see where the tablet would be it would be fine for a tablet but um, yeah so internet archive has it um so yeah that's that was the that's the that also was a long book i think it was six to seven hundred pages um but yeah definitely the best biography of luther i read um and there, there's lots of good books about luther uh, but that's definitely the best i've read so far
1: <laughs> so yeah. really jordan cooper says a lot of times or you know even though you know his tradition is called Lutheranism. They're not, uh, you know, Luther's not the final say because mm-hmm. he did change a lot, and there is so much. You know, okay, are we talking early Luther, middle Luther, yeah. late Luther, and uh, and 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 most folks, that's just not on on their. They wouldn't be on my radar if I didn't right. listen to guys like Cooper, because you yeah. know that's not where I'm de- that's not where I'm studying. You know,
0: and a book about Lutheranism is not going to be like a book about Luther. And like right. you said. Um, Luther's not, yeah, he's not the final word because he's, he's not consistent in the sense that he's not like always contradicting himself, but he develops so much over the course of time. Right. So he can really, in my opinion, put into three phases of early, mid, and later. Um, and later's just, he keeps all the core things from middle Luther, but goes off into some rants, guess <laughs> you can
1: say so. Yeah. Um, I think he would get in trouble if he had a Twitter account. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Uh for sure. Um and of course there's always I think the Luther Insult Generator Online. Oh that's so
1: funny. Really exists, so. Yeah. Beautiful. But um
0: yeah, it's a really it, it was a really good book. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else to say about it. It was just so good. Um I mean <laughs> but oh for sure. So yeah, Jordan Cooper. So also um Jack Hill. So Jordan Cooper, kind of going back to him, he um I like I like him a lot. I think uh, he's a sign of the new like a, a lot of the best authorities on Luther were, um, were of an older generation. We still have some. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have died recently. Robert Jensen died a couple years ago. Um, uh, we have—I mean, Robert Kolb is still active and writing. And but kind of around the core, I think in like ten to twenty years on like PBS, um, you when they ever they do if they even care if our secular culture even cares anymore. You know, like PBS does the next. Anniversary Reformation documentary, and they <laughs> go find some people, some experts on Luther. Uh, Jordan Cooper may he could, could be on there. I don't know. Uh, but we're definitely seeing like a generation X older millennial guy And yeah. one one such scholar is one scholar in this group is Jack kilcrease who I study under. He's been on this show, he's going to be on again next month. We're doing Luther Month next month, and um, because <laughs> it's October. And he has written a lot, Jack Kilcreese, he's written a lot of articles several books. Um, uh, and he's he, Missouri Synod lay, lay theologian, uh, which is rare in the Missouri Synod, they usually prefer yeah. theologians to be pastors, uh, but educated outside of the Lutheran. Um, I mean, he went to an ELCA seminary, but did all his work after in uh, different denominational institutions, he went to Marquette and his PhD. And so uh, but he has really uh, valuable. He, he's he's contributed a lot to the study of Luther and Lutheranism both. So I'd recommend our, our listeners check out some Jack Hillquist's work too. So and I'm not brown yeah. I'm not trying to get. A <laughs> yeah, I
1: think, <laughs> I, I think uh, Jordan probably would not make the list because he he's he's a patristics guy, not a Luther guy. He just you know that's that's not his area of oh, expertise. yeah, I guess
0: he is more of a. Yeah. yeah, you're right because the episode I listened to, which I think he did a fabulous job refuting this SSP. Yeah, X-3 I thought so too. Stuff. It, he did mention that several times. He's like, you know, I'm not a Lutheran. I'm a Patristic guy. But I did some homework on this, and, and, yeah. and he did some good homework. But yeah, he is a Patristic guy here. He's a, yeah, is it interesting to come for a uh, former Reformed Calvin, former Calvinist, uh, becomes Lutheran, likes the Patristics a lot. It's an interesting,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a neat it's a neat dynamic, and and I I really do enjoy watching kind of a, of that of that millennial those millennial generation of upcoming scholars and pastors who are just so interested in recovering classical theism the old scholasticism mm-hmm. i mean it, it all, stuff comes around i mean that that's mm-hmm. that's the way it goes it's all cyclical and uh just, just me, me being such a traditionalist i i get a lot of joy out of that yeah so that's that's a, that's a lot of a lot of good stuff yeah well, my, my third book is another collection of, uh, of, of theological essays. Um, and this one was called God's Church in the World, the Gift of Catholic Mission. Um, and it was um, a collection of papers that were presented in 2018 uh, for a joint conference between Ford and Faith and Anglican Catholic Future. Um, I think they were at Lambeth um, okay. at, for that conference. And this is kind of a strange bedfellows. So I I got the book because my, uh, my, my deacon um, uh, who's uh, finishing up his time at Neshota house right now. Mm -hmm. This was uh, one of the things he, he slaps on my desk one day and says, you you, you got, you got to read this. You'll, you'll really enjoy this. And and I I love having a manarian in the parish because they do that. <laughs> they, yeah, they'll they, give you all kinds of things stuff. for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so so yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange bedfellows for this joint conference because Ford and Faith, um, again, this is kind of inside Anglican baseball here. They are hyper traditionalists in that Anglo Catholic world. I mean, mm-hmm. they are so they're going to be, um, you know, against female ordination certainly against any changes in in sexual ethics and that sort of thing um plus you know I, I um you know at least i don't know how it is in england but but here here in north america they're forward in faith they're the ones that say okay if you're going to join us you have to affirm seven sacraments oh, really? not just two ah. um <laughs> the, the, you know se- seven ecumenical councils not not four plus two or whatever yeah. you know it, you know they're 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 very very catholic traditional um kind of folks and, and i think a lot of them were were kind of poached when uh w- with the ordinariate in england um so it's it's small i think but anglican catholic future is kind of progressive catholics in the church of england
0: yeah my okay. that's my
1: understanding yeah. um or
0: maybe it may be there's not another group there was another so... liberal anglo catholic group they were called it might have been that
1: i thought there was another one wasn't
0: there affirming Catholicism? Wasn't that another one? Was I think you know, there,
1: yeah. And I, and I think there's some overlap between them and, you know, and some of these, there are so many societies in the church of England that we don't have here in the States. So yeah. I get, I get lost in, in their alphabet soup. What we have here in the States is a ton of Anglican denominations. They've got just one, but a ton of societies. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> we have our right. own alphabet soup issues. Um and, and but but they decided to do do a joint a joint conference on doing mission and evangelism from a Catholic Anglican perspective, an Anglo-Catholic perspective. Okay. And so we get contributors like Rowan Williams is one of the contributors, um, Alison Milbank, Philip North, Anna Matthews, a whole bunch of folks. And, and um, you know, how how do you do mission and evangelism as from from Catholic as a Catholic Anglican? So you know, Rowan Williams's essay is on um, you know, kind of how the how the discipline of prayer has to fuel mission. Which which is pretty neat. I mean, and and I think I think if there's one thing that is probably less helpful about a series of essays like this, is it's it's naturally going to be a lot more theoretical than practical. Yeah. And
0: um, some of those names. I mean, nothing against them. I don't I know, but they're they're very much in the the enterprise of of yeah theoretical <laughs> and intellectual and and seeing how how broad yeah. things, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah and and in in some cases that's good because yeah. you you need to i mean we, we see we i'm sure sort of, i'm sure you you've you've seen this but you know when when you're', when you're surrendering principles for the sake of pragmatics right. And, um, and that's really easy to do in in the mission world, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our, um, our diocese is very church planting oriented, and you could do some really squirrely things in church planting if you're not being intentional. Right. And so folks like this, you know, are kind of bringing a a kind of a Catholic intentionality to it all, which, which is, which is pretty neat, you know, so yeah, Rowan Williams was all on, um, you know, the life of prayer and how that drives mission um, you know, sacrament, sacramental, you know, sacraments is mission, um, and, and how the, how, how the sacraments, uh, and specifically, you know, they're, they're thinking holy communion more than anything else, of course, drives mission. Um, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of something, and T. Wright wasn't one of these guys, but you know, he says, okay, the, the same path that leads up to the, to the altar needs to lead back out into your neighborhood. Right you know, that sort of thing. Um, there was an interesting essay on, on, on a Marian approach to, uh, to, 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 to mission and evangelism, which if it's, it's not a proper Anglo-Catholic conference without something Marian in there. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of, a lot of shout outs to the, um, real social justice focused things that went on in the 19th and early 20th century in like the mm-hmm. London slums among those Anglo Catholics. Yeah. You know, your uh, your your Charles Louders and those types of folks. Um,
0: Huntington um, too. I mean wasn't yeah. James Otis Sergeant Huntington that he his name f- sticks out from that scene. He was yeah.
1: Yeah and, and I, I you know that's that's one of those, you know, our our my my predecessor who who was a lot more um very consciously Anglo-Catholic than I you know that those were those guys were all of his heroes oh, yeah. um which 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 is pretty neat um yeah so there, there's a there's a lot of okay we need to reclaim the kinds of things that that our people did 100 years ago 200 years ago in ministering to the poor and and, and whatnot um and, and and it was one of those things where where for me um, it was very fascinating to see a perspective that both both as as british folks versus versus american folks you know but also um that real catholic approach to to mission and i've seen that happen from time to time here in the states you know there's there's a uh, an aca parish in waco texas whose um rector i know real well and and they you know he very intentional approach to a Catholic type of church planting, which Mm -hmm. was, which has been very successful in Waco. I mean, some of that's that, that unique Baylor culture. Um, But, um, but still, I mean, very, very successful and very neat stuff. But, uh, but it was, it's, it's an interesting concept that, um, you know, mission isn't just an evangelical thing. Even evangelism isn't just an evangelical thing. And so I, I thought that was pretty neat.
0: Yeah, um, I know it's not Anglo-Catholic, but but do you have any uh, connection with EFAC? Evangelical Fellowship Anglican Communion.
1: A a bit, okay. um, mostly through social media. But um, my my bishop is a huge EFAC guy. Oh, is he okay? Um, yeah, he's now now my my bishop is is very much a um an evangelical Nigerian sure. Calvinist, um, and and EFAC is huge in in that world. Yeah um I'm going to their whatever their and... their international Nigerian counterparts, but also here in the oh, states. Sure. I think
0: it's EFAC, kind of everywhere, but this one's called EFAC USA, the North American chapter, I guess. And so I'm going to their conference in late October. I'm excited
1: about it. Uh, I, I saw the I saw the lineup; it looked pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Ashley Knowles and and some others. um I'm blanking on the rest
1: of them. I mean, yeah, kind of N- 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 no is is. Oh man, he's. I think. I think he's probably the best um, living Cranmer scholar, and I want him to write his stuff. Uh, he hasn't published it all yet, and okay. oh, I, I want him to. Oh my goodness! Out? Um, his big thing he's been working on isn't out yet. Okay. So I mean, he has some stuff out, but I think his his from what I understand anyway, from listening to him in the last couple of years on on you know recordings of. Things he did at places, things like the conference you're going to. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's a big project coming that hasn't come out yet that I really want to see come out. Well,
0: well I know they've they've just I mean, he seems like every couple of years he they discover like some <laughs> like some primary text that's never been discovered or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so what's the title of the third book again?
1: Oh so this is this is um God's Church in the World the Gift of Catholic Missions and the the editor is Susan Lucas. Okay. But it's yeah it's a collection of um yeah just just really 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 great stuff and you know and, and approaching approaching missions in a way that it often doesn't happen you know prayer and worship you know a very church centered you know not in in the in the theory of the church the invisible mm-hmm. church you know and visible church not not necessarily the local parish but or, or I should say, not anything less than the local parish, but not, but, but certainly more than the local parish sure. in the definition yeah. of being church centered. So,
0: yeah, I don't have, I don't have a, a lot of um, background in mission. I mean, I, I mean, church planting missions. Uh, I just don't. I wouldn't know where to begin.
1: Um, I run in that crowd, but that's not, that's not really me either. <laughs> oh, really. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's like, you know, I, I, when I was in college, I ran with a very tech tech savvy, geeky crowd. That wasn't me. So, you know, right. stuff rubs off just cause I'm around people that know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Well, it is, it, I mean, uh, going back to that London trip I did, that was for, that was a, that wasn't just a trip. That was for a course I did with, uh, Dr. Jason Fout out of, uh, Bexley hall at the time. And, um, that was seeing the different, mission efforts and kind of out of the alpha program and vicky gumbel scene also the fir- the fresh expressions uh in england uh which they tried to do here and it in it you know i don't know is what it, it didn't really take off i think it was something that just kind of naturally organically came about in england yeah
1: um and these so, guys are not a fan of fresh expressions <laughs> Oh, really?
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i i think it, it in england from my my impression that i got in that was a uh, really a a, a pretty a vibrant thing for a few years that's cool um and and, yeah. and then it kind of the real mission started happening in other places and and it just wasn't in the fresh expressions anymore but for the time it was a, a meet and right
1: thing to do so <laughs> it was, and it's uh, just funny how that works doesn't it? i mean it seems right. you know and and i went i went to the first the first big church planning conference that, that ACNA had, um, when I was, when I was a postulant and, um, Tim Keller was the main speaker mm-hmm. and he said something that's going to stick with me forever. You know, he says, okay, it's it, every, every, the nature of every movement is to become institutionalized. And okay. so the trick for an institution is to in, in, find a way to inject some of the best things of a movement without losing you know, what you what you have, the strengths you have as an institution. Right. Because every movement will become institutionalized.
0: And that's always a balance. And I, and an institutionalization always
1: carries the negative connotation of the word, but
0: um but it's not a it's not a bad thing. <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, yeah. Um so my third book is Carl oh yeah, Karl Barth's Theolo- The Theology of Schleiermacher by Karl Bart. Um so the last time we did the theologians episode, I brought up Karl Barth, and I and I uh, talked about a kind of a critique that was, at his a critique Barth gave of his mentor Wilhelm Hermann. And it was kind of an indirectly a criticism of Schleiermacher. But now I actually read the book where it's, it's a direct criticism of Schleiermacher. It is a hundred and sorry, two hundred and seventy nine pages of him, uh, um, uh, tearing Schleiermacher apart. Not really, but um. Schleiermacher <laughs> seems to be
1: kind of a villain um, for a lot of a lot of Lutherans. They kind of, you know, is, is that oh, right? Oh, Lutherans. Uh,
0: I mean, I would just think he's usually the villain cast for any any and all traditionalist Christians. <laughs> Schleiermacher is kind of the founder of the trend that leads to, well, um, our last episode, we had, we had Roger Olson on kind of talked mm-hmm. a lot about Schleiermacher. And so I encourage our listeners to kind of, if you want kind of a, what the critique of Schleiermacher is, he kind of sums it up. Um um, now Schleiermacher is kind of a mixed bag. Um, he's the first of of a of a tradition of German liberal tradition. It's hard to say whether he was one as much as the people who came shortly after were part of that, like Albert Ritchell. Um Again, I encourage our listeners to listen to that episode. He, he talked about Olson, talked about Ritchell and all those people. But Bart wrote uh, Bart Karl Bart was uh, formed in. I guess, the German liberal tradition in the, the late 19th, century, that's when he was going to studying at the different He And what they did in Germany back then is they'd go around and study at all the big, you know, all the theology students would want to, they would, they would enroll in courses for the professor, right? And so Bart had interest in Adolf Huliker, who was a New Testament guy. He had interest in a certain I'm drawing, I can't. the names aren't coming to my mind, but he would he would basically he he went to like three different uh major theological institutions Germany over the course of several years because he's traveled around wanting to study from different people and was fully formed in that tradition and of course in World War one approaches he sees the uh he he of course sees all his um mentors and his teachers uh all the people he studied under um pledged their support for World War One, German militarism, and that disillusioned him. And I mean, this a it's kind of the, the general story. Uh but Bart uh, in 1920s he writes uh he, he they weren't they were um lectures um at Gottingen Gottingen probably mispronouncing I always mispronounce that um uh, the winter semester of 1923 and 1924. It's published through Wippenstock um so i don't know what from but that's you can get it through the with the stock website i read it for a course um kind of doing a course on schleiermacher now and basically um bar's critical on schleiermacher on many points he 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 seeks to understand him though and i think bar famously told some younger theologians and even his own students that um kind of didn't like Schleiermacher based on the uh, caricature that um, they had been fed of Schleiermacher, but hadn't actually read them mm. themselves. Bar challenged, well, you need to understand them before you're critical of them. And, um, but he he's, the first part of the lecture, the, I guess the the fall lectures were against where they were, he was kind of uh, analyzing the sermons of Schleiermacher the spring semester, right, the, the second semester, he was, um, doing analysis of, of Schleiermacher's theological writings. Um, and I really actually enjoyed the first part where he kind of was dissecting Schleiermacher's sermons the most. And he noticed some kind of general trends um, that uh, he sees that several difficulties in Schleiermacher. And he enumerates instances of Schleiermacher's loose exegesis, really it's eisegesis of certain biblical texts. Um, And this is an example. uh, Schleiermacher likens the Sadducees and the Pharisees in Mark 12. Uh, The Sadducees, to Schleiermacher, are like the Biblicists of his day. The the Pharisees uh, are like the Orthodox Rationalists of his day, um, respectively. Um, And it's... uh, The... And uh, so he he, he kind of like he, it's just a way like he's he's basically taking the kind of very problematically trying to fit it into a message he wants to give or a viewpoint he wants to share. It's just not really you know there. Um, he interpret and Bart had a big problem. We could see why Bart had a big problem with Schleiermacher's uh, interpretation of Saul's conversion. It's kind of the apex of a long process of quietly contempl of quiet contemplation of something that was already at work in him um and not like <laughs> not like a sudden yeah through like conversion experience um and it's interesting because that goes into that says a lot about bar but also schleiermacher Schleiermacher just has this general tendency that um uh, because schleiermacher's uh theology started with uh in, with the inward feeling it's called uh mm-hmm um the feeling of absolute dependence and that feeling can be cultivated it can be expressed and when it's expressed that's when we see the phenomenon of religion right it's when we see the church arise. it's actually kind of an interesting scheme um that that kind of ecclesial communal aspect of it um, of, of a corporate piety arising from an inward one and in a sense that's I mean practically speaking kind of true I mean I share my faith it enlivens others <laughs> but um but he he saw that as Schleiermacher would say that the feeling is at its purest when it's inward uh, and it gets diluted when it comes in context contact with the world. There's an antithesis that goes on um, hmm. between the world, which can dilute that feeling, but also um, the world can be won over to that feeling. Um, and then I guess when that happens, I'm probably not correctly but anyways, it can arise to a third level of, you know, where God you know, we, we not achieve, which <laughs> would say achieve, but, but basically we come to a fuller and fuller God. The goal of humanity is to reach fuller God consciousness. And that's Schleimacher's Christology. That's who Jesus is. He's ambiguous on the divine stuff. Uh, and all that, what Jesus is is a human with, like, full God consciousness, right? And so, Bart, he's critical of a lot of those aspects. He's critical of um, Schleiermacher's, you know, stance on that. And he, um, and he identifies uh, another difficulty in Schleiermacher being the level of particularity that Christ has in Schleiermacher's thought. Um, Because in Schleiermacher's thought, we have to wonder, will Christ cease, Uh, Bart says. He says in, in, um, will Christ consciousness prog- progress into an age of complete human spirit fulfillment where Christ is no longer necessary? Um, it, Schleiermacher explicitly rejects that this could be a thing at times, but Bart really presses him on this. And through digging and mining some other things Schleiermacher says, um, you know, Bart detects that Schleiermacher's anthropology is so high that his idea of this human spirit is so it's the opposite of luther's view and lutheran calvin's view of, yeah, uh, yeah. of depravity and justification and whatnot um but Barcy, remind of what
1: Olson said on your show about um oh yeah about, about that that made that major shift after world war ii when all the optimism died yeah among the liberals
0: <laughs> it became very pessimistic it beca- it died in europe after germany after world war one but yeah after two it got really pessimistic and um yeah so a lot of the you know after i read this i you know i was not a schleier maquerian even though i find him very interesting because there's a lot i mean i think for any aspiring person wants to work on like a you know in in theology like there's a lot to be done on him a lot of his stuff's translated uh whether you like it or not he's a pivotal figure um He's influenced the church even in ways. Um, I mean, Christians of all stripes in ways that we, you know, we would not maybe even suspect. And just in the ways, the same way that Kant did. I mean, there's just like yeah. this revolution of thinking that we all like are influenced by. Um, but uh, after reading Bart's lectures, uh, I you know I always blamed the type of moralism on later 19th century liberal theology. I didn't see it in Schleiermacher um, when I read, Schleiermacher, but um, bart's kind of um, commentary on uh he really pointed out that Schleiermacher has this There, there is a moralism that's really at work that the pastor is not the the, the role of the pastor basically becomes the the cultivator of of human spirit uh <laughs> in a way I, don't, I mean uh that the that in each and every person there's a receptive piece um that you know it really starts with the the rec- I mean, it's almost like Schleiermach is not even much of a Protestant. He's almost like hyper infusion in a, in a way, mm. um, you know, so it's just, yeah, uh, there's just a lot in, um, a lot in the lectures uh, and uh, yeah, I would just encourage our listeners to check, check out all these books. I'm not going to put all the books in the show notes just because it spoils it. People are like, oh, wonder what books they liked okay well i don't want to hear them talk about that book <laughs> yeah. no i want them to you know, bear through it so no, i'm just kidding exactly. it was a it was a good selection. you had a good selection um it was good um so yeah uh but yeah uh any runners up that you just want to mention the title
1: <laughs> yeah i i was um I, I i i'm working through um harold harold brown's commentary on the articles um and uh usually if we're talking to 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 kind of 19th 20th century um works on the articles of religion um 39 articles for uh, you know in in the anglican world Mm -hmm. um there's usually three names that pop up so there's there's wh griffith thomas who's very much an evangelical of those days Mm -hmm. um uh, then there's going to be E.J. Bicknell, who's very much an Anglo-Catholic of those days, and yeah. then there's Brown. And folks that really know it say you really got to read Brown, and, I, and I'm only now getting there, and I'm loving it. Yeah. And and a lot of it is just because he he digs into each one um, with with just a beautiful background. Yeah. That um that that, that is great.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, we'll check that one out too. Uh, so thank you. Oh, and I guess my runner up would be, uh, Gary Dorian's, uh, the Bardian revolt in modern theater. It was a good bio, um, of art that short, like less than 200 pages. It's on my bookshelf. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's my runner up. A lot of Bart lately. (laughs) So
1: yeah. And my mine's all inside baseball for. <laughs> no, it's fine.
0: So, no, yeah. we have a lot of, I, I think, so I'm, I don't know who all are. So when I log in and I see who's listening, it's like all over and it's like, no, yeah. but it's not like, I don't, I'm not, we don't have like hundreds and hundreds of listeners, not not yet, but <laughs> we we'll have, get like. There. but we have listeners from everywhere. And it's like one person in Papua New Guinea, one person in Sydney probably an evangelical (laughs) one person (laughs) a couple people in England uh there's a person in Germany that always tunes in there's a person in St. Petersburg that always tunes in uh yeah they're probably listening they're like oh that's me because literally it is you because there's literally one person from all these places (laughs) and I'm excited about that I don't know how we're reaching like internationally like we are but that's really great and I imagine you know I mean um I, I think the show naturally will attract kind of the Evangelical Anglican type of general ilk, but uh, I know others as well. Uh, you know, all you know, all, several, all different kinds of people listen to it. So it's uh, so yeah, I'm sure uh, those books are will be of interest to a lot of our listeners. And um, so I'm especially want to check out the middle book by Packer and and T. Wright.
1: And that, that's a quick read. Yeah, that, that yeah. one's it's it's a it's a very quick read. So um I yeah, I, I highly recommend that. That yeah. that was one that I read because I needed a good third book that I could talk about for a long time.
0: That was I think the <laughs> longest we it. spent the longest on that. Well, and it, it's so current and I think it's so I mean it speaks to church realities in a way that Luke yeah. Johnson's Paul well. That wasn't a good example. His actually did try to bring it back to the church, but they're all good books. I'll just say that. But that was yeah, a really absolutely. good book. The Packer book was, was a I think,
1: useful book to read, I think. Well, it's been yeah. awesome being back. Yeah, so. thanks, Isaac.
0: Um, it was great. Uh, I always enjoy having you on. would love to have you on again in several months. And uh, we'll think of another list of things to go through.
1: There we go. <laughs>
0: so, uh, Sounds great. So, yeah. God bless and, um, and blessings on Jesse and Andrew whenever y'all do get back together, so...
1: thank you god bless you too all right take care
0: hi and thank you for listening this is reverend andrew christensen again i hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out our previous episodes of dolph protest too much if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show please do so five stars one star however you honestly feel we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback also for any further questions or suggestions for our show please email me at dothprotesttoo protest too much podcast at gmail.com God bless your day